Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times bestselling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. It was a Buffalo soldier in the heart of America. Could this be the greatest reggae song of all time? Candidate for sure, right? Okie dokie. Good times. All right, welcome back to the Players Club. We're rocking here. Uh, We're rocking reggae all week because it's on vacation. It's the last week of vacation for our Denver Broncos, our 2023 Broncos, who are. Well, our rookies have reported. Our rookies are in the building right now. They're they're in meetings. Did you? What do you think about football meetings, Orlando? Were you a fan? Did you take notes like you're taking now? Yeah, always. Uh, whether it was year one or year seven, um, week one or week um, you know week eighteen, because it, uh, you're in the playoffs. Um, I, I believe that the more you could hear it, the better off you're going to be. And I was just a student out of the game. I, I I wanted to understand the ins and outs of it. And once I understood my position, then I would start going and looking at other things. Um, in 2014, when I made the switch from right tackle to left guard, Nate, a lot of times that year, first of all, like early on in that year, when we would break the huddle and Peyton would call a play in, in the huddle and like jogging through the line of scrimmage, my mind would think that I was at the right tackle position first. And I would go down, okay, this is what I would have on display. And then I'd start going down the line. Okay, the right guard has this, the center has this, I have this, and the left tackle has this. So I would kind of go through everybody's responsibility, you know, later on in my career, the more and more that I understood the game. So love the meetings aspect of it. Love the meetings. Yes, loved it. Four hours of meetings every day. You're just, I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. I love football. Loved it. Loved every minute of it, even on the meetings where I knew I was going to get cursed out because it's like, coach me, coach, right? Like, (laughs) like, let's figure this thing out together. Um, The only meetings that I did not love was when we would win here with the Broncos because, you know, John Fox would do it where if we won and we were on a win streak, instead of giving us the bone and saying victory Monday and see you Wednesday, he would say, okay, you know, offense, watch it together as a whole entire offense. And I hated that because Peyton would have now a cheat sheet of like all the coaches' notes and he'd be running the film room and, you know, he'd just kind of keep on rewinding the play, rewinding the play. And you were responsible for telling on yourself if you messed something up on that play. So it now highlighted it in front of the whole entire offense instead of just watching film in the offensive line room and being corrected in the offensive line room. Now you're saying, hey, you know what? My bad, fellas, the whole entire offense, my bad, no, Sean, my bad, Willis. Like, I need to get better head placement right here and, you know, get it to the outside shoulder tip, not the middle. And you will, instead of it being only four yards right here, you know, you'll have an opportunity of getting an explosive. And so I, I didn't like that aspect of telling on myself in front of the whole team. All right, but you're the uh, the rare... Player who just loved meetings. I just you didn't like meetings. meetings. They're a snooze fest 
Four oh. hours every day sitting in meetings learning the same thing you learned last week. The thing about football meetings is you're learning the same information. They're reinstalling all the same plays every week. There's about 10% of them that are new, that have wrinkles that you actually need to know that are going to change. But for the most part, this is information you've been given already. But I guess for me, start, I already knew the system. Yeah, but I, I knew the system too, like the back of my hand. But you don't start thinking about like different techniques. Like I'd show up on a Wednesday and I'll already be four game tapes in on the player that I'm getting ready to play. So now when you're installing, and yeah, it's repetitive, but I'm starting to think about like, okay, how do I get this done versus Justin Houston this week? Yeah, I know the play, but, you know, what is it going to take? Do I need to be lower pad level? Do I need better hand placement? Um, is it just a physical game where, hey, you know, better bring that body back? And it's an ice tub. Like, we're just going out there and going to war. So I would start creating a plan from Wednesday, like, because I've already ahead a little bit on, on my film. So you just would sit there and say, like, yeah, this is boring. Like, you weren't thinking in that thought process. You're just looking at the play like, hey, the heck with this? Look, man, I mean, I've been in this system, this West Coast offense system since college, and so all the concepts they're putting in, all the designs, all the coaching, the coaching stand, standing up there and giving us these plays, I knew them. And so, you know, the monotonous voice of a coach for two to three hours every day going over the same plays was not super exciting. Watching film was different. You know, I, I like watching film. I like watching practice. I like watching the opponent. But sitting up there and installing the offense that you're going to run the same, like you're learning the alphabet every week. So, how many different ways can you tell me that C comes after B, Orlando? Uh, for offensive linemen, many different ways. Okay, because but it always have, comes after B. You put up that inside zone play, and last week you might have been going against a team that's primarily four three, and this week now you're going against a three four team. So, um, <laughs> this the rules change on. Every single play. Yeah. Um, now versus 3-4, I'm working with that guard a lot more versus a 4-3 where now me and that tight end got to be on the same page. And I got to start worried about who the tight end is and what that tight end's capability is. And do I have to be a little bit heavier on the block because this tight end doesn't really love to be in the run game? Or, you know, do we have a Virgil Green on there where kind of I just got to get my hand up? So I would just start looking at the plan of, of the behind the scenes. And, yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but I guess I think you're the don't. exception. I think, the, but but it shows you that you know a locker room, football locker room, is full of all sorts of different individuals, different personalities, different ideas, different attention spans. They find th different things interesting for sure. Um, but if you were to look around a, a football meeting when the coach is in the grips of some long soliloquy about uh, some technique, <clears throat> you'll find more glazed glazed looks than rapt attention. Orlando, I have a question for you. If you were to judge Russell Wilson's performance last year, just Russell, I'm not talking about the context and the coaches and all that, how would you describe the way he played on the field? Hmm. Not good. Uh, I think there was times where Russell played selfishly. I don't think that he understood the full grasp of what the team needed in that situation. Um, and it was just times where he... he he played just – it looked like he was backed into a corner where just try anything. There was really no plan when I watched Russell Wilson's game last year. And I think that he was just kind of – what's that saying? Like flying by the seat of your pants or something like that? Yeah. I think that's what a lot of it looked like last year. That is a weird saying, though. Hmm. Like how do you fly by the seat of your pants? I don't know. Johnny, do you know? All right. So ultimately, uh, you know, I, I think my oh, ma no. 
My main sort of overarching idea when it comes to why I wrote this article and what I'm, what I'm, the message I'm, if I'm Sean Payton, that coaching staff, by the way, the things I'm talking about are the things they are talking about in their coaching meetings. How to get this guy to play inside the pocket. How to get him to get the ball out of his hands. How to get him to make the right reads. How to get him to not get hit. How to get him to stay healthy and clean for 17 games and into playoffs. That's what we need from Russell Wilson. We don't need um, a heroic play. We need a consistent, available player who can be the, a cornerstone but doesn't have to be the reason why they win. In my, in, in my opinion, Russell, you don't have to be the hero. You have to trust and rely on your players around you. That's something he didn't do last year and that he's got to figure out a way to do. We're going to keep this conversation going. Also, who's going to be the MVP of the defensive backs? We'll talk about that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like That's not as Peter Tosh. By the evil force Chad Brown's out for the next couple days. It's going to be Orlando and uh, yours truly rocking it in here. Um, we had an interesting query that happened last segment about flying by the seat of your pants. You said that, Orlando? Yeah. And it was like, where's that come from? Well, we have really smart texters and someone on the RamosLive.com text line texted in, and I think this is probably true, but you never know. Flying by the seat of your pants is early era pilot slang for the loss of your instruments and the only input about your plane's condition is delivered to the pilot by the seat of their pants. Nice. So, uh, Great definition. Yeah. Learn something new. And appropriate. And Russell didn't have his instruments. <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett wasn't providing him the type of information about his altitude and his you know, the weather and all that. Yeah, he was flying by the seat of his pants out there. You know, our very own Cecil Lammy has taken on this discussion himself and written an article on denversports.com, you can check it out. It's called Three Things Russell Wilson Must Do During Broncos Training Camp. Um, and Cecil, nobody follows this more closely than Cecil. Cecil has every single football game that's ever been played in a VHS tape in his basement. Um, Pop Warner, JV, every school in, a, in the world. And oh, uh, yeah. he, can, he can dial it up if you want to go over and watch a game with him. But he, the, those three things for Cecil Lammy that he wants to see during training camp, he's not talking about the season. Uh, number one is listen. Listen. It sounds simple. This is quoting Cecil. It sounds simple, but first and foremost, Wilson must hang on to every word Peyton tells him during practice. Players want to be coached, and Peyton is not going to hold anything back. I'm sure there are times things will get heated because they need to between players and coaches at some times. I'm okay with that, and so is Wilson. I've heard that Wilson wants the coaching Peyton is going to give him. I appreciate how Wilson is willing to learn under Peyton's guidance. Learning begins with listening, and Wilson needs to take everything Peyton tells him to heart. End quote. Uh, this brings up, uh, again, a thought about Nathaniel Hackett and his coaching style. Do you think Russell Wilson didn't want to be coached hard by Nathaniel Hackett and his staff? 
I think Russell, I think every football player wants to be coached hard. I think deep down inside, although a lot of us won't admit it, I think we love understanding exactly where we stand in a locker room. Like, I know I miss it, and I miss, I thought the real world was exactly like a football world. And, you know, if you're not doing good, you're going to be told that you're not doing good. Not being told, like, you're doing amazing, you're doing amazing, you're the plan, you're the plan, and then you go in a completely different direction. Like, the real world sucks. Because I've experienced that since I've retired and, and just different things that I've done where, you know, being praised and told that yeah, everything is going right and there's nothing that you could do on your end because we love what you're doing. And then all of a sudden I'm passed up for somebody else. So the real world is really, really frustrating. So I think deep down inside, every football player appreciates uh, what it is in a football locker room because you get it from a, the time that you're in Little League. Like if you mess up, coach is chewing you out, letting you know that you messed up. And high school is the exact same thing. College is the same thing. The NFL is the same thing. So I believe Russell Wilson wanted to be coached hard, but I just don't believe that. I think Nathaniel Hackett got enamored with Russell Wilson and watching Russ for over a decade have success in the league and just automatically gave him the stamp of approval and said, he got, has to be just like um, Aaron Rodgers. And we know that quarterbacks are different. I thought I messed up as well, thinking that, you know, looking at Philip Rivers, looking how intense he was and thinking like, man, Phil's going to be exactly like Peyton, like chewing guys out if they're not doing it right. And we're going to go over there and win a lot of football games. And Honestly, I signed for free agency a lot of that because of that. You know, playing in front of a good quarterback that has a lot of line of scrimmage that is going to get after his teammates. And I learned very quickly that it couldn't be further from opposite with Peyton, with uh, Philip Rivers, that he doesn't chew his teammates out, that he's not like Peyton holding them accountable. So when I'm saying all this to say that I think Nathaniel Hackett got caught up in the fact that Aaron Rodgers did everything with the Green Bay Packers. And seeing an elite quarterback doing that, he just trusted that Russell Wilson would be able to do that as well. And he wasn't able to. And you heard Nathaniel Hackett's comments this week about the the responsibilities and really the the um, the green light that Aaron Rodgers is going to have to to dial it up at the line of scrimmage. It, it makes your job pretty easy as an offense coordinator when you got a quarterback like that who tells the receivers where to go and what to do based on what they see there. But that's about, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a unique player, and, when you, and Peyton Manning was a unique player as well, like you just mentioned. And to try to duplicate what you had with them, with the next guy, it doesn't work. Obviously, we've been trying to fill the Peyton Manning void here since he left because that void was so huge, because what he did was so anomalous – to the game of football, you're not going to see another Peyton Manning again. So we try to replace Peyton. Well, you're going to be disappointed year after year after year. Right? Offensive play caller and quarterback, it's a match made in heaven. It doesn't matter what you think that offensive coordinator can do. You know, the interesting situation this year is going to be seeing what Patrick Mahomes does without Eric Bieniemy. And I'm happy that EB got out from underneath Patrick Mahomes' shadow and, and Andy Reid's shadow. But look at here. Look how good of a play caller Mike McCoy was, whether you look at Tim Tebow or the Peyton Manning era. But they try to bring back Uncle Mike, right? They try to bring him back. I think it was with Trevor Simeon and the boys, right? And they were excited about DT getting back his play. But yet that marriage didn't match up. It wasn't this perfect match. The great play callers, the guys that have success, are the ones that understand that 
each and every player is different. And when you now get that new player, what are this player's strengths and how do I make them be elite, his strengths already? What does this person do just good? How do I make that great? You know, what do I, what, what does this person do bad that I could turn into good? And it's now coming together and creating a playbook that best suits that quarterback. That's how this thing is not rocket science. And I, I mean, do you think that Nathaniel Hackett did that last year with Russell Wilson? No, I don't think it was a match made in heaven. I think it was Nathaniel Hackett was too um, deferential to him. He was too accommodating to him. Uh, he did have too many things going in his mind to be able to stick to the plan. Apparently, what you heard was we practiced one thing during the week, and then in the game, we we did something else. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was Nathaniel Hackett kind of getting discombobulated in his mind and not sticking with what the plan was. But also, at the same time, like you, as a play caller, it's not always going to be the, the right play call. And you need a quarterback who can get you out of that. You need a quarterback who can either change the play at the line of scrimmage or get you out of a bad play by making either a, a great play, a good play, or just not a catastrophic mistake. And so pass plays in, in the NFL, and pretty much every level, they have an answer for any coverage that you see. It's not like this one play is only going to work versus this one thing, and we hope they run this one thing, and if they don't, the play's not going to work. No, every pass play has an answer for every defense that they throw at you, the quarterback needs to know that answer, mm. and that's the difference. If they're in cover, if they're in man, we throw. Well, you can choose which guy, which matchup you like best. If it's cover two, you're throwing here. If it's cover three, you're throwing there. If it's quarters, we're throwing there, etc. And they weren't on the same page as far as that went last year. And hopefully, they get on the same page with Sean Payton. Um, I only got through one of Cecil's three things that he wants to see from Russell Wilson. We're going to do those as we go along, but we got Andrew Mason. He's going to join us next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. We got Andrew Mason on the line. Andrew is our senior Broncos rider, and he is joining us on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. Andrew, we got eight days left for training camp. I want you to break down, if you can, what we're going to see out of this wide receiver room, because to me, this is the most fascinating training camp battle um, that's going to that's going to that we're going to witness. Not just because I used to play the position, but because in my estimation, I look at this list of guys, any of them. Can play, in, I mean, you know, maybe with the exception of one or two. But for the most part, it's going to be two spots maybe up for grabs and eight guys fighting for them. How do you, what are you going to be looking at with this wide receiver battle and how do you see it shaping out? It's a, I mean, it's a good question because I, and I agree with you. This is, this is the battle to watch. For the back of the roster spots, it's going to be as much about special teams as offense. I mean, for example, your Marquez Callaway done well, did well in New Orleans, did did pretty well back in uh, in 2021 when Sean Payton was still the coach. But if you're going to snag one of those spots, 
it's going to have to be on teams uh, if you're going to be if you're going to be in the mix as receiver four, receiver five, receiver six. Um, the other th- and, and the other thing, I mean, I think if you see enough from some of those guys down the depth chart, like you know, Brandon Johnson flashed last year in in summer. He flashed again at OTAs. Um, if he continues his ascendancy, then do you feel confident in where he's going to where maybe you look at the top of the depth chart and if there's a trade off for you like, maybe you're taking a deal. And that's where the rumors about Cortland Sutton being on the trade market may be part and parcel of the next several weeks because there simply isn't room for everybody who is a, who can play in this league to make the 53. Andrew, okay, so you talked about special teams with the wide receivers, and um, I absolutely agree with you there. Which of these guys fits the bill as a special teamer? Because uh, I'm looking at these guys, and they're all kind of pure wide receivers. Um, you know, like last year they had, um, what, what, was his, what was his name, the special team receiver? Um... Montreal, no. Washington. Montreal. No, 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 not Montreal. The guy who made the team because he was a special team big four guy. Oh, gosh. Um, We've already forgotten his name. Jalen Virgil? No. No, 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 because he, he was only a returner, right? No, it was the guy that Stuke said, this is my guy. He's a core special teamer. He's staying. Tyree Cleveland. Yes, Tyree, Tyree Cleveland. Cleveland. So, yes. so Tyree Cleveland fits the bill as a number four or five wide receiver who's not going to play a lot of offense, but he's a special teams core member, right? Yeah. Who is that guy here? I'm looking at these guys. You know, K.J. Hamler, not that guy. Marvin Mims, obviously not that guy. Marcus Callaway, probably not that guy. Brandon Johnson, you mentioned him flashing um, on offense, but is he that guy? Maybe little Jordan Humphrey is that guy? There you guy? go. That's the name. Okay. In terms of a guy who can be a, a core special teamer, that's the one who, who jumps out, who if you're saying, okay, who are the six, the, the, the six best the wide receivers? <laughs> yes. Well, this is not, this is the wrong show for that, Andrew. <laughs> oh, gosh. Happy, happy. The six best, yeah, we're having a heck of a morning here. The six best wide receivers. I don't think Lil Jordan Humphrey is going to be that, but when you talk about receiver receiver four, five, and six, typically having some kind of role in that phase, that's where the equation becomes different. And so, you may be looking at the depth chart coming into the into week one, and you may, and if you're a fan, you might be saying, "Oh, I, I saw this other dude make plays. Uh, how come he didn't make the roster?" and uh, you know, one of these other guys did. Well, that's where teams comes into play, and I think and and Lil Jordan Humphrey, I think, has the mind, has the makeup and the mindset to be a core special teamer. Uh, Mace, you said when it comes to this wide receiver room, that the bottom of the roster is going to be like what you can do on special teams. Essentially, uh, my question for you is: This year, does special teams have to be great for the Broncos, or is good just good enough? And just kind of what does a good season look like? For this unit, as far as far as special teams goes, this year for the for the Denver Broncos. Well, how good it needs to be, I think, probably depends on how on what else is going on in the roster. Like, if Russell Wilson gets back to being Seattle Russ, then teams doesn't need to be great; it can be good, and that's and even then, that's going to be a, a, a significant improvement. The Broncos have been a bottom tier special teams club really the last six seven years basically they have they haven't had a uh, top half of the league special teams unit since Super Bowl 50 so how it looks though you want to see 
teams generating some transformative, explosive plays. Okay, you want you know a, blo- a blocked punt here, an explosive return there, and then not putting the rest of the team in in bad spots with take with with giveaways and mistakes. And that's where you kind of you look at some of the recent years for the Broncos, and and special teams has undermined the team's efforts way too often. Whether you're talking, whether you're talking about uh, poor execution on 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 kickoff coverage, whether you're talking whether you're talking about uh, a, a, go back to 2019 for example, a, a, you know a fake punt that just should have never should have never happened. It was DOA, uh, so. You, 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 and maybe that's where you're going to start is saying, okay, these miscues that have hurt our chances of winning, how do we how do we cut those out? And if you do that, then you're going to be a good special teams unit, even if you even if you lack being able to make the explosive plays. But that's the level you want to get to. And, and Mike Westhoff is somebody who's got a lot of experience in being creative and being able to, to generate those things. So that's. That's basically how it looks, but I think it's it's the whole cliche of I'm, I'm rambling here and I apologize. It's the whole cliche of sometimes before you figure out how to win, you got to figure out how not to lose. And the Broncos, I think they took some steps the last couple of games of last year with Jerry Rossberg, but on special teams, they've got to figure out how not to lose games there. Andrew, the Denver Broncos selected five rookies in the draft. Um, their first was Marvin Mims. They traded up to draft wide receiver Marvin Mims in, at the end of the second round. Their next pick was number 67 overall, Drew Sanders, a very tall linebacker with a unique skill set. Number 83 overall, also in round three, was quarterback, uh, I'm sorry, cornerback Riley Moss out of Iowa. Uh, round six was their ne- next pick, and number 183 overall, safety J.L. Skinner, a big dude from Boise State. And then round seven, 257 overall, center Alex Forsyth from Oregon. Which of those young gentlemen do you see making the biggest impact on the Broncos in 2023? At this moment, I would say it's going to be Drew Sanders because I think they can find a hybrid role for him, even if he's not a starter. The fact that you can put him in and put him in in some pass rush packages that he has the versatility to even provide a little bit of depth on the edge as well as being an inside linebacker i think they're going to set him up to take advantage of the first pro ready skill that he has and that's and that's pass rush while he develops the rest of his game I mean, he's he's like you mentioned he's tall he's long he's and he's got some speed He's got the makeup to be a good coverage linebacker, but he's going to have to learn the technique of covering at this le- of covering at this level. The other the other thing that could change that is if there is a trade from the top of the depth chart at wide receiver. Again, if you trade Cortland Sutton, everybody moves up a notch. And if that happens, then I think you're talking about Marvin Mims being the most impactful rookie this year because then he's going barring injury. He's going to get a good chunk of reps. All right, Andrew, we'll be keeping our eye on the sex. I mean, six wide receivers who are nice. looking to make this team. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. We'll see you. We'll see you soon out there, buddy. Yeah, Thanks, buddy. yeah. See, see you next week, fellas. Have a good weekend. All right, good luck hat shopping and shirt shopping. We'll all be uh, watching. Well, what Andrew Mason wears.
our senior Broncos writer on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. There he went, Andrew Mason. All right, so denversports.com. We're breaking down this article by Cecil Lammy. Three things Russell Wilson must do during Broncos training camp. We've been through one of them, and that is listen. What are the other two? We'll dive into those next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. You like Toots and the Maytals, Orlando? Uh, what is that? I've never even heard of that before. Never heard of Toots? No. Nope. Toots and the Maytals. It's a, it's a reggae group. Yep. yep. Yeah, man. Toots and the Maytals, iconic reggae group. Um, yeah, I'll send you some Toots stuff. Yeah, so like, um, my mom wasn't really into like the classical reggae, even though like we're, my mom was born in Jamaica, grew up there, left Jamaica, what, in like 1990 when I was three. Um, but was never really into like kind of this type of reggae. Like she would listen to Bob Marley and, you know, like Bear Salmon and them, it would kind of venture off to, you know, Kenny G and Keith Sweat and Boyz to Men and things like that. You know, Michael Bolton. Oh, Kelly, hello, Kenny G. Yeah, that's what my mom listened to. And then now my brother's six years older than me. So hit the type of reggae that he would listen to was a little bit more, you know, the dance hall and uh, some of the culture stuff, but not really necessarily kind of that old school feel good, want to be on a beach type of reggae that we've been playing kind of all week this year. What this week? <laughs> this year. Wow. Hey, man, it is what it is. Um, all right. Hey, are you interested at all in the women's World Cup soccer stuff? Um, because it starts today. And the U.S. plays tomorrow. Um, they're in the United States of America in Group E. They've won the last two World Cups. They're in Group E with Vietnam, the Netherlands, and Portugal. What's your interest level in the wor- Women's World Cup? Uh, very, very um, limited interest. But I do have a vested interest in you, what the United States does, what Jamaica does, what Canada does. So I will definitely pay attention to kind of the box score of those games. But... Uh, if you're asking me, Nate, if I'm going to go home and spend, you know, two and a half hours watching a soccer game over the next couple of, what is that, like a couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, probably not going to happen. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> That's right, it would. All right, all right. Uh, United States playing Vietnam tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on Fox. And that's happening in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand. You ever been to New Zealand or Australia? No, no, but um, we, we are planning a trip uh, next year to go to Australia, actually. One of my wife's best friends that she went to high school with, uh, her family moved to Australia right after they had finished high school. Right, straight away? Yeah. Would you like a beer? That's how they say it. They don't say beer. It's beer. I'm a little terrified. I heard the, the creepy crawlies is out there, so I will be getting a full debrief from our Chad Brown on oh, the yeah. different types of I'm surprised Chad hasn't moved there. Um, all right, there is some, some breaking news in the world of the NFL. The Lions are releasing their kicker, Michael Badgley. Should we bring in Michael Badgley or just roll with uh, Elliot Fry? Is it Elliot Fry, Johnny? Should we roll with Elliot Fry or bring in some competition, Michael Badgley? I think there's going to be more kickers that end up on the outside looking in once it's all said and done. Uh, kicker position, it's not like, you know, 
unfortunately, it's not like offensive position where the continuity has to be there. Right. These quickers either you kick it deep right, kick it deep middle, kick it deep left, right? And the more hang time you could have, the better off you're going to be and the longer you're going to stay in the league. So I think the Broncos could wait this thing out. Let's get as many camp bodies in here as possible because we're trying to change the culture, right? So we might find that diamond in a rough at a inside linebacker position or another DB or another, you know, um, tight end or, or, or something. So um, for me, I don't think necessarily right now you, you go in. I think you could wait on kicker all the way until the final cuts and literally just get a guy here 10 days before the season and be like, yeah, that's our kicker for this year. Yeah, there's no playbook for a kicker. Yeah. You don't have to learn the plays. And if, is, and if there is a playbook, it's one sheet. Yeah. Um, I heard you were on the drive with DMAC a couple days ago, and DMAC, you guys were discussing, are there more guys on the streets who have the skill set as a running back or as a kicker or so, something to that nature, of uh, of that nature? And I think there's, I mean, there's hundreds of, of dudes who have the physical skill set to be kickers. It's the mental for me. I mean, it's it's the it's the ability to go out there and under pressure, rely on your on your physical skills, rely on your technique, and make the kick. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brandon McManus was an awesome kicker here for a while, and then he fell off. And to me, it had nothing to do with physical skills declining. It was his mental edge. Jason Elam was here for many many years. He was a made man, and there's not a lot of made men kickers. I've talked about that before. But when you become the kicker, who when you jog on the field, everyone knows you're going to make it, mm-hmm. no matter what. There's no there's no question mark. You become a made man. You don't have to worry about that guy. He's just going to come on and make the kick. There aren't a lot of those guys in the NFL. Who is that guy? Is there one of those guys out there? Um, Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's the name that immediately jumps at you. Um, but, yeah, kicker, the psyche of a kicker, is, it, it's different. You know, sitting down and talking with those guys. I remember Matt Prater would start like saying his goodbyes in the middle of a game if he missed the kick. And it's just like, get out of my face, dude. I got to go block this 330-pounder that's trying to rip my face off. I'm getting cut. I, yeah, I can't listen to or have sympathy of you. Like, just keep your head in the game and you'll get another opportunity, right? Even when he broke the, the longest field goal here, he missed one earlier that game. It was like, I'm getting cut. But, yeah, you're getting cut after you hold the record now later on in the game. It's kind of like you got to be able to have that short-term memory in all positions when you're playing the game of football. But um, kickers are definitely interesting. And, you know, you think it was Brandon McManus losing his psyche? Or do you think that, you know, unfortunately it falls into the category of here we go again? Here we go again. You know, Broncos are losing these tight games. The offense is not able to score a game, score a lot of points. And, and now the mentality is like, hey, whatever we do, we're going to kind of lose this football game. Because I, I asked this because when I was with the Chargers, I felt like that was the philosophy in that locker room. There would be times where we got four and a half minutes left. We're, we're down by seven, you know, and the offense is going out there and you, I would look in guys' eyes, and I didn't think they believed that we could win this. It was yeah. like, here we go again. We're going to find a way to lose this. Like, that was the expectation. So do you think that after losing so much after Super Bowl 50 that that kind of rubbed off on Brandon McManus? Yeah, maybe. I think that, um, you know, if you look at his numbers, they did decline. But he was also a leader in that locker room, the only guy remaining last year with a Super Bowl ring from that run. He was a union rep. He was, uh, you know, a vocal leader. He was a guy that... 
gained a lot more power than a kicker normally typically does. He was also very active online. He had a lot of other. He had. He was trying to wear too many hats, in my opinion, um, and he lost focus on what what your main, your only job is. Your only job is to go out there and make that kick and then jog off the field. That's it. You do that, you're you're made. You can you're made in the shade. You could you, you could retire a Bronco and walk off into the sunset. I think Sean Payton just wanted some fresh blood in there and maybe you know too much residue of the old Broncos and maybe some of that losing. Absolutely, um, but it, but I'll tell you this: if he had made every kick last year, he'd still be here. Yeah, yeah, I, I, because you make every kick, you become expendable, right? And now it's that automatic. And now you know, Sean Payton comes in, and he, you're one of the few guys that he says that we can't touch him. We got to make sure that he's here. I think what kind of ultimately hurted B Mac as well, and uh, was the stuff that he would do in training camp. I think he did a little bit too much. I, and I love him to death. That's one of my brothers. I was, he's a really amazing individual, but. You gotta check the temperature. Can't be dressing up in a rough costume and throwing flags like that. That's cool with Nathaniel Hackett, but maybe Sean Payton might have heard something like that. That you did that and was just like, "Yeah, don't really want that here." When I'm trying to change the culture, yeah, coaches also don't really love the union reps. They just don't because you are promoting a different vision or a different narrative of you know uh, the game of football. The union wants these guys to come around less. The union wants them to stay away from OTAs. The union wants them to avoid injury or whatever. They think they can avoid injury by staying away from the OTAs. And Brandon McManus advised his team not to come back to OTAs. He was very vocal about it. I mean, he, he went on the radio to talk about it. He put out tweets talking about it. Stay away. Here's why. Uh, the, 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 the football the quality of play has never been better than it was last year in the COVID year. Um, there have never been fewer injuries. Stay away from the facility. Well, for a team that was trying to build something and improve, that's not a good recipe. And he had to check the temperature of his own football team and not just the temperature of the union in D.C. Yeah. Um, you always got to speak your mind and speak your truth. Uh, I think in this situation, maybe he might have got... You know, kind of looking at the outside, looking at what everybody else was saying. I don't think that a kicker, a kicker better not solely make that decision on themselves because you don't practice or work. Unfortunately, it, the harsh reality is you don't work as hard as the offense does and the defense does, and you don't have to create that continuity. We talked about a kicker's playbook being a page long. Um, you know, as an offensive lineman, I want to be in that facility. I want to be in that facility as much as possible because I want to make sure that I'm putting the work in, but also I could trust in the guy that's going to be right next to me because I'm seeing him put the work in as well so you I, I think you know there's so much more on this bone when you talk when you're talking about this because you could look at it from so many different angles as far as why it happened but I think part of it was a lot of like the union was putting pressure on that and Absolutely. it's just like okay like that's what you want me to say and that's what you want us to do let's let's do what the union says and I don't necessarily believe that that was the right move at all well, we hope BMAC finds success in Jacksonville and regains his mojo, and whichever kicker replaces him here, uh, it plays better than Brandon McManus ever did and can be a, a, a staple here for a long time. Those two other things that Cecil wants to see them, Russell Wilson do it during training camp, throw interceptions. He says, I know it may sound odd, but I want to see Wilson throwing interceptions during practice. That's the best time to test the defense and try to let his playmakers make something happen with the ball, learn from your mistakes. His second one, get rid of the ball quickly. Like everyone is saying, that's a, that's a common theme here. Um, and that's it for us on the Players Club. Thank you for joining us. Stick around. Stokely and Zach, they are next.